Amen. You may be seated. And thank God for Fanny Crosby, who has added so much to the worship of the church. Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 6, and we're picking up this morning with verse 14. Mark 6. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 14 through 29. Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 14, as we read, remember this is the word of the living God. And King Herod heard of it, that is of all that was taking place through Jesus and the disciples. For his name had become well known, and people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying he is Elijah, and others were saying he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has arisen. For Herod himself had sent and had John rested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. A strategic day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. And he swore to her, Whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in a hurry to the king and said, and asked, saying, I want you to give me the, at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and had him beheaded in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard about this, they came and took away his body and laid it in a tomb. What a sad story. But it is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for the day. The time in your word with your people. We pray your blessing upon our deliberation over this text. That we would be gleaned from it and learned from it. What would be helpful for us in our daily walk with Jesus. And 
make our prayer in his name. Amen. Well, it's beginning to look a lot like spring out there. The temperature is, is a bit warmer, a good bit warmer some days. It, the grass is turning green. The flowers are beginning to bloom. Some of the trees are beginning to bud. And that's the bright side of it. The not so bright side is that all that yard work we haven't had to do for a few months, we're going to have to start doing again. The weeds are already showing up in, in my yard. You know, if I went out and did a lot of yard work right now and stayed with it, I'd probably end up with some blisters. And if I kept working in spite of those blisters, I would end up with some calluses. Now, calluses are good things, aren't they? Because they protect you from getting those painful blisters. Now, I can tell the real difference when I touch my palm, if I touch it and there's a, a callus there because... You can hardly even feel what you're touching. Now, physically, again, calluses are a good thing. They're a means of protection. But spiritually, however, calluses are not so good. In fact, they are downright dangerous. You see, we do get spiritual blisters, and we do get spiritual calluses. A spiritual blister is your conscience. It is a sign that you better stop, that what you're doing is not good, that you are about to be in even greater danger. Because that's what a blister on your hand tells you, isn't it? It says you better stop. You are hurting yourself. And if you keep this up, you're going to have a greater wound that you're going to have to deal with. Your conscience is like that blister. It tells you that what you're doing is not good and that you need to stop. Now, if you don't stop, you'll work through that initial pain, won't you? That blister will hurt for a while and it'll be pretty painful for a while. But again, if you keep on, you'll end up with its skin hardening over and it will develop a callus. And then you won't feel it. Now, on your skin, again, that's a good thing. But in your soul, it's a very dangerous thing. If you persist and continue in your sin, in spite of your conscience telling you to stop, eventually your heart will become so hardened to that sin that you'll no longer feel the pangs of conscience, of your conscience, against it any longer. That's a very dangerous spiritual situation, but it is one I know is all too common today. It is the situation that we find described, I believe, in our text this morning. This is one of the few texts in the Gospel of Mark that are really not about Jesus. In some ways, this text is about John the Baptist. It describes John the Baptist's imprisonment and death, a tragic death. But really, the story is about Herod. We're going to look at Herod this morning in this text as he's described for us. And we're going to find Herod to be a very weak and pitiful man, a man who found himself in a very dangerous spiritual situation, and a man who simply continued in his sin until his heart was hardened. 
Herod gives us, as my sermon title reflects, Herod gives us a frightening example of how sin can grow. You know, Herod never intended to end up where he did. That's true of so many people today, isn't it? So many people today never intended to end up where they are. What caused that, their situation? They simply allowed their sin to grow. They neglected the blisters of their conscience. Their hearts became calloused, and they eventually became insensitive to the conviction of sin. Let's look at several things as we kind of work our way through this text. And the first thing we see, I believe, is is Herod's guilty conscience. You know, again, set the context of where we are. Jesus in the midst of what we know is and call the Great Galilee Mystery, a 16-month period thereabouts where he was ministering in the area of Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee, headquartered in Capernaum. It was the time in Jesus' life and ministry when he was the most popular. Huge crowds were following him wherever he went. Mason preached on the previous text last Sunday when I was out and Jesus sent the disciples out and now the ministry had been multiplied, duplicated. More and more people in more and more places were being confronted with the claims of the gospel. It couldn't be hidden. People heard about it. People were talking about it. Even Herod heard about it. Well, by now, people were beginning to wonder who this Jesus was. And as is reflected in the text, there were all kinds of different ideas and opinions. You know, we we see a similar thing when Jesus asked in Matthew chapter 16, asked his disciples, what are people saying about me? What's the opinion out there of who I am? And they gave him all kinds of different ideas. Well, some say you're Elijah. Some say that you're uh, Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the prophets. Of course, Jesus asked the real question, well, who, who do you say that I am? You know, that's what really matters. Here we have all kinds of opinions of who Jesus was. It says in the text, some say he was Elijah. Others saying he's a prophet, like the prophets of old. In verse 14, it says, some were saying John the Baptist has risen from the dead. And that's why these miraculous things are taking place in him. Well, Herod opted for the third option. And why did he do it? It's because his conscience was guilty because he was the one who had put John to death. And his great fear was, oh no, oh no. John has come back to life. And you know that would mean for Herod, there would be consequences to pay because John was still alive. Who was this Herod? There are actually four Herods described for us in the New Testament, so it can, get a, can be a bit confusing. Herod the Great was the king when Jesus was born. Uh, he was the one the Magi went to see in Jerusalem. He was the one who had the edict ordered that all the baby boys under two years old in and around Bethlehem be put to death. During that time that Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus fled to Egypt for safety and protection. That's why they were in Egypt. Herod the Great died. And at his death, the, the kingdom was divided among his four sons. 
The Herod mentioned in our text is known as Herod Antipas. He wasn't really a king. He was more of a, he was a tetrarch, more like a governor, the governor of Galilee. And he was a very shrewd and cunning man. He, he lived a life of luxury. He didn't hesitate spending the taxpayer money on lavish things for himself, great architectural projects. Uh, this Herod was the one that Jesus referred to as that fox one day. Uh, this was the Herod to whom Jesus was sent at the time of his trial. He had great ambitions for power. He was ruthless in his attempts to get it. Herod had a guilty conscience, though. He was afraid that this Jesus was John the Baptist come back to life whom he had put to death. But in the second place, we see in their text, Herod's life of sin. You might wonder, how did Herod get to the place where he could do such a thing as this, where he could put John the Baptist to death in such a gruesome way, have him beheaded, have his head brought to him on a platter? It's a sad story, isn't it? I said it's a sad story, but it's a story of a life of sin. Notice that verse 17 tells us that the reason Herod had John arrested and bound in prison was account of Herodias. Herodias had been married to Herod's brother, Philip. And that's where the trouble really began. Herodias was married to Philip and without going into all the sordid details, Herod had an affair with his sister-in-law. Eventually, both of them divorced their spouses. And they married each other. It was a very public and ungodly situation. Herod has taken his brother's wife. Well, John the Baptist heard about it. You know, there was nothing timid about John. You know, he came preaching repentance and he preached it to everyone. It didn't matter who it was. The, you, know, you might remember in Matthew chapter 3, the Pharisees even came to, when, when all the excitement was about John the Baptist started in the wilderness, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to John to be baptized. And John looked at them and he said, you brood of vipers, who told you to flee from the wrath to come? Not very seeker-friendly preaching, isn't it? Well, now you see Herod was preaching against Herodias and Herod in their marriage. He was saying that what Herod had done was against the law, that in essence, his marriage to Herodias was invalid and illegitimate. You know, John the Baptist really is, is kind of refreshing, isn't he? He wasn't guided by any political correctness. He wasn't... Uh, uh, guided by the recent polls of what made people happy or what was popular. He just preached the truth. He preached that men should repent and that included everyone, even Herod. But it wasn't Herod who was uh, so upset with John. It was Herodias. She presented John saying these things about her and 
her new husband and their marriage, and she nagged Herod. Nagged him until he caved in and had John arrested and thrown into prison. Herodias had a real grudge against John the Baptist, and she was determined. She was determined that he be punished for calling into question her marriage to Herod. So I ask you again, how did Herod get to that place? It was a result of a life of sin and disobedience. How did it begin? Well, I'm sure it began with lust. It began with looking at his sister-in-law in an inappropriate way. It continued with adultery. It began having a sexual relationship with someone who did not belong to him. It persisted with him taking his brother's wife breaking up his home and his own home and marrying someone who had been committed to someone else. And now look where that had brought him. Here is Herod, a powerful man, subject to the whims of Herodias, forced to do what she asked him to do, even though he knew it was not best. Now I'm sure that when Herod began this process. He thought it was just a little thing. No big deal. You know, just a glance, just a look, just a little flirting. Nothing out of the ordinary, just a little little harmless lust, just a little sin, wouldn't harm anyone. But what Herod didn't realize is how sin can grow. You see, there are no little sins. They're all violations of God's holiness and of God's righteousness. In all sin, all sin, no matter how insignificant you might think it can be, all sin can grow if you do not confess it and repent of it. You know, an alcoholic's problem might have begun with just a, an occasional social drink or two. A person addicted to pornography's problem might have begun with just looking at the swimsuit issue of Sports Illustrated. A corporate embezzler's problem might have started with just, you know, adjusting his expense account a time or two. When sin is left unchecked, when it's not confessed, when there's no repentance, it always grows. And sin can have monumental consequences. There's a third thing in this text, and that's what I'm going to call Herod's internal struggle. He really struggled. He struggled within himself, and he struggled with Herodias. Verse 19 makes it clear that Herodias was not going to be satisfied until John was dead. Herodias had a grudge against him, that is against John, and wanted him put to death. It was not enough for her to 
to see that John was in prison, she wanted the death penalty. And the indications are that she had tried to get Herod to do that, but she could not get him to do it. And the reason, the reason Herod would not is because of his fear and his respect for John. Look at verse 20. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. Now here was Herod being pushed by his wife, not just to put John in prison, but to put him to death. And so he's now in a position of trying to protect John against the wiles of his own wife, and he did so out of his respect for him. You know, Herod might not have liked what John the Baptist said about his marriage to Herodias, but I think he had some respect for John for having the courage to stand up and say it. Now, to show just what an internal struggle this within himself Herod went through, look at the end of verse 20, where it says, And when he heard him, that is, when he heard John, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to it. The story in Josephus tells a lot of us about Herod. Herod had built a palace in the southern part of Palestine, down in the, in the mountains, the hills around the Dead Sea. It was a really a, kind of a palace with a fortress protect any invading armies from coming at them. And it was kind of like a summer home for Herod and Herodias. They would go there and they would spend the summers and they'd spend time there. And it was a place where Herod lived it up, where he had these lavish parties. He would invite his friends and they would have these great uh, parties. Well, underneath that palace, that fortress, were these dungeons and in those dungeons, it's where the prison was. It's where John was. And it's clear in the text that when Herod went to that palace, he would sneak off into the dungeon. He would talk with John. He would listen to him. And he would come away perplexed, not knowing about all this that John was, was telling him. He was torn internally because he enjoyed hearing what John said, but he couldn't bring himself to do what John said. He enjoyed hearing about repentance, but he couldn't bring himself to repent. He enjoyed hearing about faith in the Messiah, but he couldn't exercise faith. He enjoyed hearing about the kingdom of God, but he was so enamored with his own kingdom and his own power that he couldn't think of entering God's kingdom. He was simply perplexed, perplexed by the truths he heard John teach. Now here he could not bring himself to do what John said and he could not repent of his sin. You know, it's just never a convenient time to repent, is there? You know, so many times they say, well, I'll, 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 I'll try that tomorrow. I'll, I'll turn over a new leaf tomorrow. I'll do different tomorrow. 
But you know what? By tomorrow, tomorrow never comes. And so Herod lived with this internal struggle. Then the fourth thing we see in this text is Herod's tragic mistake. I said earlier that if sin is left unconfessed, if there's no repentance, then bad things usually happen. And that's what took place in the life of Herod. Herod continued in his sin long enough, even though he heard John preach over and over again, he continued his sin long enough that he experienced tragic results. Now, Mark has an interesting way of introducing this tragic mistake of Herod in verse 21. In my text, it's called a strategic day. He says, a strategic day came. And that strategic came day was Herod's birthday. He and Herodias were at their summer place, and Herod's birthday came. And so he threw a big party for himself. We're told in the text that he invited his lords, military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. They all traveled down to Herod's palace by the Dead Sea for this big birthday party. I'm sure there was plenty there to eat and plenty there to drink. And Herod and these men were having a grand old time. And apparently, as the text indicates, some of the entertainment was dancing girls who would come in and dance for the men. That's why the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. And these girls come in and dance for them. And one of the girls who came in to dance was the daughter of Herodias. You know this daughter girl was. This was this was Herod's niece and his stepdaughter. It was his brother's daughter. And she came in to dance. And she must have put on a show. Because the text says in verse 22, when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. She pleased them. And she must have really pleased them. Because Herod said, I will give you whatever you want. You have danced so well. You have pleased us so much. You have done so good to please my guests that I will give you whatever you ask for. I will even give you up to half my kingdom. Now, legally, he couldn't give it her half of his kingdom. It was just making a point. I'm going to give you whatever you ask. The nicest gift you ask for, I'm going to give to you because you have been so good to us. Well, the girl immediately ran to her mother. It's clear the girl was a bit conniving, and she probably learned that from her mother. She ran to her mother, and she said, I'm sure the king said I can have whatever I want. What should I ask for? And Herodias didn't have to think long. She said, you ask for the head of John the Baptist. And so the girl did. 
she went back and she told Herod that is exactly what she wanted. Now, understand, that wasn't what the girl wanted. It's what her mother wanted. And Herodias had lived with this grudge for so long that she seized the first opportunity she had. I think it's clear in the text, it's not stated, but it's implied that she had tried her best to get Herod to do this before. She had tried to get Herod to put... John to death and he would not do it would not do it would not do it and now she seized her opportunity where she was going to put him on the spot and she was going to make him do it and she sent her own daughter back to that party to ask Herod for the head of John the Baptist on a platter you see Herod made a, made a tragic mistake. His sin had just continued to grow. And now here he was, his big mouth had gotten him in trouble. If the sin he had already committed was not enough, lust, adultery, now he's about to commit murder. He had sin had led him to do something he should never have said make a promise he should never have made and now Herod was in a real bind and the last thing we see in the text is is Herod's pitiful end the girl did come back to Herod in verse 25 said I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter and aren't you sure that Herod's blood ran cold here it made this big guest in front of all these guests, these imported people. He had promised to reward this girl for her dancing with whatever she asked. But he had no idea that she would ask for anything like this. This was the last thing Herod wanted to do. But his hands were tied. He had talked real big and now he had to back it up. He had to save face and the only way to do that was to do what the girl asked. We look at verse 26 and we see, although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. What a pitiful picture. Here's a powerful man entrapped now by his own sin. He has this young girl asking him to do something he knows he should not do. He has these guests watching, waiting to see if he's going to follow through with what he boastfully promised her. He's faced now with some serious peer pressure. Would Herod do what was right and protect John or would he do what was wrong and protect his own pride? Well, we've already seen the answer to that question, you know, in the early part of the text. We're told that Herod was the one who put John to death. Text tells us he called for the executioner, sent him down to the dungeon, had John beheaded, had him bring his head to him on a platter, just like the girl asked. Then to add insult to injury, the girl took the platter with John's head 
and took it immediately to her mother. What a bit of land. You know, we're, we're left with Herod standing there with, with blood on his hands, reduced to doing what a scantily clad girl asked him to do, totally humiliated and broken. He might have committed adultery in private, but he had just committed murder in front of a large crowd of people. Again, how did he get there? How did Herod get to that place? It was because he didn't realize how sin could grow. Again, as I said earlier, oh, it's just a little thing. Just a look. Just a glance. Just a little flirting. And be careful. Be careful. Looks usually don't stop with looks. A little flirting doesn't usually stop with a little flirting. Sin grows. But Herod realized. He should have stopped it. Nipped it in the bud. But he didn't. And look where he led him. Herod again never intended to end up in that place. Herod never intended to be standing there in front of his dinner guests on his birthday with the head of John the Baptist on a platter. But his own sin, his own sin led him there. There's ever a cautionary tale in the Bible. This is it. Maybe there's some sin in your life with which you're struggling and you just can't let it go. Let it go. It may be some personal, internal struggle. It may be some private sin that you engage in only when you're alone and no one else is watching. You think, maybe I can repent later. No, repent today. Turn from that sin because it may come to a place where you can't let it go. Where that sin has such a hold on you, you won't let it go. Turn from that sin today. That's why John and that's why Jesus came preaching the gospel of repentance. One thing I try to teach our children clearly when I'm working with them is faith in Christ is never alone. Saving faith always results in a changed life. With repentance, with turning from sin, with seeking holiness and godliness. Oh, that Herod had seen the light, but he never did. The wonderful truth of the gospel is that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be like wool. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be White as snow. If only you ask and turn from your sin and seek the Lord's face. May God give you the grace. May he give us all the grace to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. And how we pray that we might not be like Herod. Insensitive to the blisters of our conscience we might turn from our sin to a life of obedience.
that pleases you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.